Aloha. Welcome to Rapping with Rabbi Rachel. Rabbi Rachel coming to you here from the big island of Hawaii. Wow. Episode five. Grateful to be alive. It's awesome. I will be continuing my conversation with 97-year-old Holocaust survivor Goldie Lefkowitz. She is an amazing woman, a living legend. But before we get to that, before we go there, let's all just stop whatever we're doing, wherever we may be, so we can come together in spirit. Feel the breath. This moment. This moment that's a gift. Because as you receive this breath, millions of other creatures take their last. So we're really lucky to be here now. We're really lucky to be able to hear this story today. To be alive to hear this story. To continue listening to Goldie. Let's all come together in prayer. Gratitude for this moment. Gratitude for the breath we receive, the ability to hear, the ability to listen, the ability to receive. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam shehechianu v'kiamanu v'higianu lazman hazeh. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, the eternal creator of the universe, God who gives us life, who blesses us and bestows upon us this joyous, joyous occasion, the gift of this moment. Amen and all women. Wow, I'm really excited to be here for episode five, and I'm really excited to continue our conversation with Goldie. I hope you all enjoyed the last one, but wow, we are, we're going to keep going. It's really exciting, and I'm really grateful to be able to share her story with everyone, especially with what's going on in our world today. I feel like we like to think that things can't happen again. We like to hide our heads in the sand sometime and think that we're different, that history can't repeat itself, that if I were around, I would have done this and I would have done that. But the reality is that might not be the case. It might not be the truth. When you look at where we're at in our world, no matter where you are, what you're doing, where you're living, I'm sure you can look around and go, whoa. By bringing awareness to the Holocaust, we have to bring awareness to all the genocide that's still going on today. It's not like we've made it through. Yeah, you and I might be here now, sitting somewhere comfy, maybe driving in our car, listening to this. But there's a lot of people out there who aren't. So with everything that's going on, I I really feel like it's very important for you to listen, to share this with everyone you know, and, and listen to what Goldie has to say today. Listen to what Goldie has to share with us. Because one of the things she talks about that's so powerful is how this all happened. You know, I vividly remember walking through Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, and they take you through how this all started. The media, the schools, the brainwashing, the way things happened. And I vividly remember stopping, stepping back and going, oh my gosh, I have to do something. This is still going on at this very moment. Wow. But we have the power to change it. 
We have the power to be the change. And by listening to Goldie's story today, I hope that it will impact you in some way with the intention that we must never forget, but to know that we must never forget so we can be the change. So with that said, without any further explanation needed, open your ears and most importantly, open your hearts and please, please enjoy continuing to listen to 97-year-old Holocaust survivor Goldie Lefkowitz. We're going to pick up with Goldie sharing some more about what was going on around her in Germany at the time. And but uh, those those things, uh, they were all over. I mean, they grabbed people and just, uh, we called it fushing. It's like, um, what did they have in, uh, um, in February? Um, uh, where everybody gets and gets dressed up, you know, and uh, not dressed up, but in in costumes. Oh, Purim? Yes, yeah, Purim. And uh, Köln was one of the cities that always had parades, and they had some, they grabbed some Jewish gentlemen with beards and made them clean the the street with with toothbrushes. Oh. And. How did these things start to happen in your experience? Was it just like overnight Hitler came to power and all of a sudden... Yes, yes, it came. He gave everybody... uh, First of all, they all had to be Nazis. They all had to wear uniforms. Mm. And uh, he gave them, like, you're going to be a lieutenant and you're going to be a... You know, he gave them power. Right, right. And... uh, and all his speeches were anti-Semitic. Mm. The, the motto in Germany was, Today, Germany, tomorrow, the world. Heute, Deutschland, morgen, die Welt. Mm. So that was their motto. And, and, and the, the kids were brainwashed, you know. It's, uh, they told everybody the Jews are no good, and that's not true, you know. <laughs> That's uh, we had a lot of uh, doctors and uh, professional people, but they were people just like anyone. Yeah, right. So um, it it was rough, but I must tell everybody that we were saved by a Nazi. My father was accustomed. Taylor, and he had a friend, you know, because he was, he left uh, Poland when he was two, he went to the German schools. He spoke a beautiful German, and his handwriting was gorgeous. And he had some schoolmates. Outwards, there were Nazis, they had to wear the uniform, but they were still my father's friends. And one uh, had a wedding to go to, and he didn't want to go in uniform, so he had my father made a suit for him. And he had to come for a fitting. And he said, and I heard him. He came in, and uh, he was putting on the coat, and... uh, 
He said to my father, David, I want to tell you something. It's time for you to leave. And my father always thought, oh, this thing will pass, you know, it can't happen. This is beautiful Germany. And all of a sudden he he woke up and he had an uncle in in Brooklyn, New York, who was an attorney. And he wrote to him to find out if he would vote for us because you couldn't just go on a ship. You had to have a vote of coming to the United States. And he sent a telegram back to us saying, I'll vote for all of us, and we were five. I had two brothers. And then we had to go to Stuttgart. To the, that's where the American consulate was in Stuttgart. And we passed all the tests and so. And he bought... Uh, train tickets, my father bought train tickets, and then he bought the steamship tickets. And we left in the middle of the night. We went to Aachen. Aachen is the border town between Germany and Belgium. In Aachen, we all had to get off the train. We were examined. Uh, our belongings were examined. And I was 16 and I collected foreign coins. And my favorite uh, author was Heinrich Heine. And he was Jewish, but Every school, every classroom had his books. He was an outstanding poet. And so I decided I'm not going to leave those books behind. And I put them in my suitcase, in the bottom of my suitcase. And I came back from being examined and I went back to the train and... One of the Nazis there uh, took my suitcase and opened it up. Also, my my father had made me a skirt with two zippers in front. And I took one of his big handkerchiefs and put all my foreign coins in the handkerchief and then put it in my pocket, one of my pockets. Well, he saw the zipper and he opened the pocket and thank God he opened the wrong pocket because we would never have gotten out of Germany. And then he was getting to the bottom of my suitcase, and then I realized I had four books of Heinrich Heine, and I started shaking. And the conductor yelled to the guys who were checking us out. He said, get these people on board, we're late. So he closed the suitcase just before he got to the books. So I consider myself a very, very lucky person because I I was so close to have my family sent to concentration camp. 
But in 1939, when uh, when Hitler moved into Poland, they confiscated our passports. But we got out just in time. We got out two months before Kostelnacht. Two months. It's amazing. And um, we we left at night, and the first step was Belgium. My mother had a sister living in Belgium. She got out many many years before. So we stayed with them. And then from Belgium, we went to Antwerp, to Holland, and there was a cousin. <laughs> and we stayed with them. And from there, we went to London. And my mm-hmm. father had uh, another uncle, the brother of the one in Brooklyn. And then finally, we boarded the ship in Southampton. But two days before we were leaving Germany, my brother, who was 17, one year older than I was, he has he claimed he had serious stomach aches. And my father said, take your bike and go go to the doctor, our family doctor, Dr. Ox, uh, and have him examine you. Well, he went to the family doctor, but he never came back because the doctor took him immediately to the hospital. He had an appendicitis attack. And they couldn't operate on him because he was running a high fever and they had to wait till the fever dropped. So my parents had to make a decision. But there were four of us and one of him. Besides that, his, uh, my, my, my mother had seven sisters, and six of them lived in Köln. My mother took them all out of Poland. And she said she has papers to go to uh, New York, and she'll take care of my brother. So we had to leave him behind in the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Um, and we didn't hear a word about him until we were on high sea. And then the captain of the ship came out, came to my parents and told them that he's got a a telegram saying that my brother is okay. Oh, Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. So, are we lucky or not? You are so lucky. So lucky. Very, very lucky. Very lucky. You are so blessed. I think one of the amazing things about you, Goldie, is that you're constantly focusing on the positive. There's all this stuff in your stories that is so horrific and hurts me in my heart and cuts me to my core, but you still see the light in all of it, and it's it's really beautiful. Well, I, I don't talk about the other stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I mean, my friends are disappearing overnight. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, so that's, but, but the funny thing is, because when we get to New York and we had wonderful family in, in New York, they got us an apartment in the Bronx, a furnished apartment, and I was there two days. I was unpacking my suitcase when I got an appendicitis attack. Wow. And also, my father's sister lived in um, in New York, and she didn't come to the ship. Everybody came to the ship to greet us, but she wasn't there. So he asked somebody, where's Sarah? How come she's not there coming? They said... Uh, well, she was on vacation, and for some reason she couldn't make it. And we believed him. But while we were crossing the ocean, his sister died. So he had to sit shiver. I was in the hospital in New York. My brother was in the hospital in Germany. My younger brother was 10 years old. And he refused to go to school because nobody spoke German. He couldn't understand anybody. And he turned out to be a physicist. <laughs> so that's the irony of it. So, Goldie, you were nine years old when Hitler came into power. And you were 16 when you guys escaped and came to America. Right. Can you kind of walk us through... What happened in that time? What did the timeline look like? I, I'm hoping to really paint an accurate picture for our listeners of how quickly things changed and what it was you saw happen in, in what sounds like a short amount of time, but, but a lot happened. Well, there were a lot of uh, parades, uh, Nazi parades with... Uh, uh, Jew-hating slogans, and we were afraid to look out the window, things like that. I mean, there was fear, and I really didn't know all this till later on, till we found out. My mother, uh, like I said, she had seven sisters and two brothers. And three of the of her sisters, complete with husbands and children, were taken to Dachau, to the concentration camp, and they did not survive. My father had two sisters in uh, Germany. They did not survive. And, And later on, after I married and... I got a letter from uh, the Bürgermeister, which is like like the the mayor of Köln, inviting me and 50 other people who were born in Köln to come and see the new Germany. So we went because everything was paid for. Uh, I lived in California at that time, and... uh, the trip was out of New York. And they wanted to show us the new Germany. 
der weint und dein das. And every time my husband and I went someplace on the trolley car and somebody would sit next to me, uh, like, like my father's age, I would think, what did he do during the war? What position did he take in the Nazi land, you know? It's, uh, I can't fault the German people. They were, they were all of a sudden just, you saw Nazis swarming all over every, all, all the streets were with their vehicles and, um, and taking people out of the apartment buildings and just herding them like animals. And they, they could take one little suitcase. And my aunt in, uh, I had an aunt, my mother's sister, living in Stuttgart. And she, And she had two children, Marsha and well, Marta, was Marta, and, and Pauline. And Marsha went to a kibbutz in, uh, in Palestine. It was Palestine that time. And I wanted to go to Palestine, but my parents wouldn't let me. And the little girl, um, uh, Pauline, she was nine. And she uh, she went to England with the kinder transport, and a Christian family adopted her and sent her to uh, school and to college, and she became a, a nurse. But we lost her, you know. She she married a nun Jew, and and she was too young to remember all the uh, holidays we went through and all that. And she came to visit us in uh, in California, but uh, it was hard to remember. She was just a kid, you know. Well, you were just a kid too at the time. I mean, it's it's hard to yeah. to picture adults yeah. doing this to nine, ten year old kids. What were some of the personal experiences that that you personally had with the Nazis and the Hitler Youth? What were we girls from um, the organization we belonged to was Hashomer Hatzair, and we all wanted to go to Palestine. That's all we talked about, and we found each other and we said we're going on a bike ride and we're going to the mountains. And we had, of course, we didn't tell our parents that where we were going, you know, that's, they wouldn't let us. But we we went, three girls at a time, we were about 15, 12 or 15 girls. And we went to the mountain and we had uh, taken our knapsacks with uh, lunch and we were up there sitting down and um, eating our lunch and we heard singing. And there was a group of Nazi boys. They were all teenagers, big strapping guys. 
and they came up with that, the same idea that we're going to have a picnic. They saw us, and they came over and talked to us. And our leader, her name was Vera, and she was 18, and we were about 10, 11, 12, around that age. And she came over quick, and she said, speak Hebrew. <laughs> Nobody could speak Hebrew. We, we, knew, we knew songs, we knew prayers, but so they came over and talked to us, and we made believe we didn't speak German, we couldn't understand German. So we said, Konrad uh, Balevev, and another girl was at Bushima. <laughs> and I said, Baruch <laughs> Oh, Adoshem, yeah. And finally they got tired of us, and the leader of the Nazis said, oh, leave them alone, they're gypsies, and gypsies are bad luck. Oh. So we put a uneaten lunch in back in the knapsack, and we slowly went to the exit the mountain, and we ran down. It took us an hour to get up there and took us 10 minutes to get down. And we took off, and we were so lucky they could have done us bodily harm. We had no defense. There was nobody else on the mountain. It's just us. So again, we were lucky. I think that's the most amazing thing about your story, Goldie, is you keep saying how lucky you were, that you had all these amazing accidents and coincidences that weren't really coincidences at all. I mean, for those of our listeners that aren't Jewish, the Hebrew words that Goldie was speaking are prayers spoken in a nonsensical order. And I think this is a great place to pause again on our conversation with Goldie and maybe to look at this and look at who she is despite what she's been through. I mean, the fact that she keeps talking about luck and hope and faith and that there are no accidents, there are no coincidences, these things that could have changed life forever. Wow, it's it's just really, really powerful. Her story moves me so, so much, and I really hope that it's moving you the same way. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, I think now more than ever, it's really, really, really important to resonate with empathy and stories like these and what others have been through so that we can never forget. So I'll look forward to being with you next time as we continue our conversation with 97-year-old Holocaust survivor Goldie Lefkowitz. Shalom. Ha. 